This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Sex and Drugs. Do watch of tomorrow the sci-fi review and critique show that may be happening all inside of your own mind we we don't know and we're not going to tell you <laughs> i am geffman i'm joined as always my friend and co-host dr Izix. hi and this week we've got another movie because i don't know we wanted we wanted more time we wanted less time more time to work on complicated episodes but more time on our holiday break in between doing star trek things Yes, uh, and plus, uh, you know, uh, I didn't do a movie episode this last season, so it's like, I'll go ahead and, you know, put in the uh, synopsis scripting and all that for this one, and, you know, Gep, when you get to have it easy, because I'll also edit, edit this one, so hooray! <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get a break. <laughs> you know, you, you've uh, done a lot of work on the show behind the scenes, uh, uh, I've done uh, less so um, over, you know, the course of the, you know, the whole series, uh, so I'll, I'll I'll take this one to even out a little bit. How about that? Thank you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this was this was your pick for a movie, which is yep. um, a movie with at least three different names that I've found. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of happens, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where you know you got a movie that's based off a book and was sort of in development hell for a while, and so yeah, yeah. So let's see, we've got. The Congress, the 2013 mm-hmm. film, also called Les Congres in French. I know I pronounced that wrong, but you know, mm-hmm. imagine that I said it right, but for French. <laughs> yes, uh, it is, uh, you know, French for the Congress, but it is Les Congress. <laughs> or uh, Robin writes the Congress, or the Congress of something, which was another name that I saw. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not finding in my research, but that's oh, what the okay. f- version I wrote was, I watched was like, subtitled as the futurological congress which is what the book i mean that's what the book was called i don't know if they (laughs) called it the futurological congress in any of the versions or not especially since in the movie they call it the futurist congress congress which is what we call future stuff more now yeah yes uh also uh the version i saw you know technically called it uh, robin wright at the congress yeah i've seen that too (laughs) so yeah there's some variations here and uh uh, honestly i don't necessarily know what if there's anything big difference wise in terms of uh uh, the film between them but uh so my version is at least the one that i saw so uh, deal with it yeah and um to not to not give away too much uh if there were differences between the ones that we saw i don't think we'd ever know yes Yeah, this is a uh, a kind of weird movie with a lot of weird stuff going on, and it's kind of hard to keep track of what actually is happening. <laughs> yeah, intentionally. Yes. Yeah, you, know, you kind of see what's happening, but to really describe it properly in the context, well, we'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think wow. I think largely one of the things that you should do is like. But as you're listening to this episode, if you're anywhere near a phone or computer, you should uh, look up this movie on Google and just look at some screenshots because mm-hmm. that'll show you the kind of uh, thing we're trying to describe to you. Yep. 
Yeah, and uh, it's like, oh yeah, yeah here's a, a picture of uh, a lady standing uh, in a, sort of a, a weird outfit, you know, with a bunch of lights and stuff. And okay, that's sort of sci-fi-ish. All right, here's uh, an airport with a zeppelin. That's also kind of sci-fi-ish. And uh, here's a uh, a room that's like a cartoon. And fe- it seems to feature the uh, the one lady from like those uh, James Bond film, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, she's apparently uh, pointing at the TV. <laughs> People flying through a mushroom city. And uh, here's uh, you know a prisoner, you know, uh, in front of a firing squad situation, and uh, and then here's an older fellow just kind of looking at a microphone. And just I'm sorry, I'm I'm scrolling through the images right now, <laughs> and one of them is like the the thumbnail for a movie review channel that seems to be the movie being reviewed by a Muppet in large, like, Einstein doctor glasses. And if I've ever seen a movie that's more appropriately reviewed by a Muppet, I don't know what it was. <laughs> Excellent. You know, a couple others uh, is, uh, of course, uh, uh, a, a, a whale and some uh, ships on some waves and a big rainbow going down the middle and it's all weirdly technicolor and uh, yeah <laughs> then here's uh jesus and buddha hanging out with john ark and elvis is in the background <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this is what the, that sort of movie <laughs> so you probably have all the actual like extra stuff because you wrote all the things so. uh, you know, bits and pieces uh <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah. There's a lot of things like visually that you could spot in this movie that I could have included, but I did not, and I tried to keep it as uh, you know sort of straightforward on what we know is actually happening. But I do mention from time to time some of the weird visuals that are going on. Um, so, uh, so yeah. <laughs> so, do you have the the director and cast list, or should I talk about them? Uh, well, I, I guess we can, uh, you know, start off with the uh, director, who's uh, also one of the, uh, you know, he's like the the, the primary uh, writer, Ari Fullman. Do you yeah. know about him? I, I was not familiar. He, yeah, he does a lot of other <laughs> other things that I've never heard of. It doesn't seem to work in American film a lot. Yes, uh, I believe uh, he's attached to uh, a studio based in Israel. Uh, and for the film, uh, did a lot of work with a lot of international, uh, animation houses for the parts of the movie that are animated, uh, more on that later. Um, <laughs> uh, but as far as, uh, you know, his work, uh, uh, you know, was, well, a lot of them are films I've never heard of, honestly, like, uh, Santa Clara, uh, made in Israel, um, Natara... PG? It's actually a TV series. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, where is Anne Frank? That you know, it was uh, you know, you know, another uh, yeah, I've heard of thing. that. Um, Waltz with Bashir seems to be all over the place. Yes. Uh, made in Israel. Uh, yeah, Santa Claire. Yeah, lots of things I've never heard of as well. Oh, uh, and so you know, you know, there's a. Uh, you know a lot of uh, stuff going on with the you know Israel right now, and uh, you know uh, we could uh, potentially touch upon uh, uh, that at some point here. But uh, in terms of the core of this particular film, uh, there's not a lot 
uh, that you know, you, you know uh, deals with the Israeli experience, but there is some Nazi imagery to uh, mm. sort of maybe uh, touch upon at some a couple points. Yeah, the um, film is largely is American. The title is French for some reason. It's just... And it's based on a a, a Polish a, book. A, you know, a, a, no, a you know a novelist uh, Stanislaw Lem's uh, book, uh, and. Uh, you know, he, he was, uh, you know, hanging out in the 70s in, uh, you know, Poland, which means, you know, you know, uh, uh, communist uh, Eastern Europe sort of situation. And uh, apparently the original book uh, was, uh, you know, the, the main character is going to the, to the Futurological con- uh, Congress, uh, you know, drinks some tap water, gets to hallucinating a bit and uh, and then falls into a sewer. And then wakes up after some uh, adventures 20 years later, and there's some craziness, and then some other stuff happens, and they fall, and they're back in the sewer because it's only, like, been a day. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those <laughs> everything's a hallucination, or is it sort of books. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, there's a, uh, you know, bits of stuff to sort of, you know, you know uh, unpack in that novel, which but I've not read it. Um, but a lot of the, uh, you know, imagery and or, you know, a number of plot points are taken from one to, and put in the other here so uh so yeah that also means like the first third of the movie is not really attached to the original book at all so yeah yeah <laughs> so uh so, so uh that's the 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 writers and director uh so some actors and uh actresses uh should we start with the uh the uh, the, the, the the main character yeah, because there's interestingly, like even though there are other characters in this, most mm-hmm. of the things that I'm seeing only mention her as the, anyone starring in this movie. Yes, <laughs> Robin Wright. Funny. <laughs> yes, uh, she's uh, you know well, perhaps uh, best known for uh, a little film called The Princess Bride, uh, which uh, you know maybe we'll review that someday, uh, maybe uh, <laughs> uh, where she plays the Princess Bride Buttercup. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like one of those movies that like folks in our age demographic have like all seen, like, even if you didn't want to. <laughs> yep. You, you know of it. Yes. Even if you haven't seen it, you know it. Yes. Uh, oh no, Wesley. Uh, yes. uh, and, uh, yeah, she's been a number of things, uh, over the years, um, uh, mm-hmm. was in a long running series, uh, for like 500 some episodes called Santa Barbara. Uh, she was in uh, the movie Toys, which is like on my stretch list if we ever need more stuff for, <laughs> to talk about. Uh, Forrest Gump, uh, Unbreakable, uh, uh, oh, uh, The Singing Detective, which is interesting. <laughs> How to Beowulf. Kill Your Neighbor's Dog. A fun one. <laughs> uh, one of the vis- uh, versions of A Christmas Carol that are out there, since there's so many. Uh, mm-hmm. Moneyball. Um, <laughs> Oh, uh, Blade Runner 2049, uh, Wonder Woman, uh, in some of the various Justice, Justice League uh, cuts, uh, and uh, more recently, something called Devil's Peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Which yeah, I she's guess been... wasn't received well. Though I do like a movie <laughs> just called Land. Land! <laughs> Played Edie. <laughs> uh, was also in uh, House of Cards for like a whole bunch of episodes, so... So uh, yeah, she's been yeah. Uh, doing doing a lot of different stuff. Had a here. long and relatively successful career, unlike the fictionalized character yes. that she's playing. <laughs> uh, and uh, as far as the other characters, there's uh, Harvey Keitel who plays Al, who is uh, apparently her agent. Uh, Harvey has been in uh, tons of stuff as well. 
Uh, most recently, The Paradox Effect uh, was an episode of National Treasure Edge of History, which I didn't know existed. <laughs> uh, the Comedian, Outlaws, uh, Rio, I Love You, the, the Last Godfather. Uh, <laughs> Life yeah, on Mars. You've seen him in a lot of stuff. You, you'll recognize him yes, from uh, things. He, yeah, he's also in the original uh, National Treasure uh, as well. He was uh, also played Dad in Little Nicky. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, do you, you know the character Dad from Little Nicky? I've never seen Little Nicky. All right. So Little Nicky uh, is uh, one of the sons of the devil. Okay, and fun. Dad is his dad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's been in things from like, you know, like back in the 70s. Uh, uh, you know, uh, oh, 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 there's a couple more I wanted to mention uh, real quick. Uh, you know, the the piano uh, uh, Dream One, The Border, Taxi Driver, and of course, the FBI. <laughs> you always get by one. You always get one. <laughs> uh, there's uh, Sammy Gale, um, who uh, uh, plays uh, Sarah, uh, Robin's uh, you know, in, uh, in movie daughter. Uh, she's mostly known for being a, a you know, character in Blue Bloods. Uh, there is uh, John Hamm, who plays Dylan, True Liner, uh, who was uh, in a whole bunch of things like Good Omens, where he plays Gabriel. Uh, he was in uh, Top Gun Maverick, uh, Invincible, uh, as uh, Steve's voice. <laughs> uh, uh, Beirut Nostalgia, uh, or, uh, Baby Driver. Uh, and so on and so forth uh, on back. So there, he's got a lot of actors here that are been in a lot of things. Uh, you've seen him in a lot of stuff. Baby Driver is one of those really good movies that got ruined by having a terrible person in it. <laughs> uh, we got uh, Cody Smith McPhee, uh, who has uh, been in a number of things as well. Like, uh, you know, uh, he was a, a Nightcrawler in Dark Phoenix and X Men Apocalypse. Uh, you know, he's in. Uh, one of the various adaptations of Romeo and Juliet, uh, Paranorman, uh, The King, uh, and uh, you know was in uh, something called Stranded. Was like their first acting role. Um, there is uh, Danny Houston who plays Jeff, also known as Jeff Green in the movie. Uh, he's been uh, running around as well uh, for a good while. Uh, was in Yellowstone, Marlowe, The Dead Don't Hurt, uh, most recently. Uh, Cross the river and into the trees. Uh, game night, last photograph. Uh, playoff. Uh, won the Robin Hoods. The the one from 2010. Yeah, another <laughs> one of those guys that you will definitely recognize from sight. Yes. Uh, so I think they call those kind of folks character actors sometimes. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and a couple more folks. There's uh, Michael Stahl uh, David, who plays Steve, but he's only in the first third of the movie. Um, who's been in also a lot of things like LBJ, uh, Newsreaders, uh, Mercy, uh, Cloverfield, um, and such. Uh, and the uh, last one I'm going to mention, there's still a number of other characters, uh, but the last one that's any real consequence, uh, Paul Giamatti plays Dr. Barker. And uh, he's also another one of those folks that you'd recognize from Yeah, everything. one of those character actor guys <laughs> that you spend the whole movie going like, I know this dude. He's <laughs> in Billions and 30 Coins most recently. He played a couple, uh, a guy in uh, Rick and Morty. He's uh, in White Fang. Uh, uh, Hoke, Parkland, Turbo. Uh, John dies at the end. 30 Rock. 
John Adams, uh, Danny Diaries, uh, Paycheck, uh, Thunderpants. Uh, <laughs> sh- should I be concerned about that one? I don't uh, know. He was a he was the he was the control room guy in the Truman Show. <laughs> uh, he was evidence uh, that th- uh, video game Ripper. Oh yeah, I kind of remember that. <laughs> so yeah, he's been a lot of different things, uh, like everyone else in this uh, except Sammy Gale, <laughs> who who's only been in some things. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so that's our uh, our main cast there. And uh, as I said before, uh, you know, a couple of these characters uh, only show up in the first third of the movie, and uh, the rest kind of float away after that. Yeah, or or they might be around. You'd have no way of knowing. <laughs> yeah, around but not being uh, voice acted. Hint, hint. <laughs> so, uh, anything before before we get into it? No, I mean this is going to be a difficult one. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious how you uh, got this one to work out. Well, I did get it to close to 3,000 words in terms of uh, things here, so... Uh, and that's mostly that's, when, that's mostly where we're at with these. Yes. <laughs> so uh, hopefully this works out all right. All right, so ready, Gepwin? Yeah, let's, all right. let's go. I mean, the first bit's pretty straightforward. We don't need to worry about that. Well, well, well Gepwin, do you have your ampule ready? <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, you know, make sure to break it open at the right time. Robin Wright at the Congress. We are presented with Robin, tears on her face. Her agent, Al, is pointing out how he's stuck with her despite her flighty nature and how she, you know, and also she has made lots of lousy choices, so she's just terrible. That, yeah, she's had a big break as a star at 24, but now she just kind of sucks. And I I don't know how, I don't know enough about Hollywood, but if agents are like this, that's awful. That's a very terrible, abusive relationship with that agent. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. And I would not uh, want to keep him around as my agent if that was the case. So, uh, so yeah, you know, uh, Robin, I think you can do better. Um, I suspect the real version does actually <laughs> do better. Uh, the house is a uh, renovated hangar uh, and uh, they're right next to the airport. So that's cool. Uh, there's something about people calling about a deal, but Al doesn't seem to know what it's all about. Then... Robin's daughter pops in for, to mention the airport security call. Alden, uh, there's the usual problem with Aaron, her son. It's Aaron's her daughter, by the way. So uh, Aaron's off flying a kite by the airport fence. Much the noise of the guards and their dogs. And uh, there's some uh, strange uh, audio-visual effects kind of going on here. Letting his kite go over the fence is kind of a big problem. And so they'll not be so nice if it happens again. Yeah, because you're yeah. flying a kite next to an active airport. Yes. <laughs> like, airplanes that are going a little too low might actually hit it. So, uh, you know, they don't want to be responsible for, uh, you know, broken airplanes or kids getting strangled by their own uh, kite lines. It is now dinner time. We find out Aaron and his sister like to talk about the airplanes that land out back. Robin's like, yeah, no more of that nonsense with the fence, else we'll have to move somewhere you'll hate. Aaron seems to be having kind of visions of an airplane coming right at their home. Sarah's curious about that offer Al brought up. This leads to suggesting her mom could get various roles that Robin really isn't loving. Later, at Maramount Studios, aka not Paramount, Robin spots a poster for the Princess Bride. In a meeting with the studio guy, Jeff, aka Jeff Green, studio guy, he's singing her praises. 
but also he's looking to offer her the last contract she'll ever have. Robin's like, hey, I'm not that old. What's up? He lays out that everything is changing. Hollywood's norms are going away. Robin's a little confused. He then explains that they want to scan her. Get like this, get the full behavior, her vibes. And then they'd have this new version of her to play roles. Yeah, because everything's changing in that actors are asking for reasonable things and we hate that. <laughs> and now we don't have to deal with stupid actors anymore. Isn't it great? We'll just animate you. Isn't that wild? And so she'll be able to play all these great roles, like all the ones she gave up over the years. They won't need Robin. They'll just have her scan. So they can totally save her from her poor life choices. You know, the ones Al mentioned. Al is a bit old school and a bit confused by all this. But then Jeff lays out that anyone who doesn't sign up now will basically be gone as there won't be any actual actors from here on out. Just the scans. So come on, come on, join our computer-generated future. Give us Buttercup. Also, if you sign, you can't act. Ever again. Anywhere. So Robin's like, screw that. And she leaves. Jeff then tells Al that the offer is valid for the next 30 days. Back at home, Robin joins Aaron outside to see how he's doing. She wakes him up and asks about flying a kite, ideally responsibly. He laments missing a landing and, oh, mom, you look sad, so why don't you go fly a kite? So she does. Later, it is candle in the ear time. Smoke your ears out for Aaron. I'm... Not really sure what kind of treatment this is, but it's yeah. a uh, it's a bullshit thing that people sell to say that you're like removing wax and impurities from someone's ear. Yeah, it, it it's a, it it's looks a hollow silly. candle that's supposed to like you know updraft things out of your ear. It's 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 uh, sufficiently new agey to believe that a Hollywood person would be into it. Yes, <laughs> uh, I I think it just looks silly and pointless. <laughs> so that, so they're doing this, uh, but the door rings. It's Al, and he's brought Steve, the contract guy. Sarah goads Steve into talking the contract business. We learn that these contracts basically create a digital actor that is controlled by the studio, except for the things where the contract says no. So you've got to make sure all the important things are in there before setting, settling things and signing. And the former actor is not an actor anymore, and they can kind of just do whatever they like after. Can go play golf if they want to so we cut to a scene in a kitchen there's a couple people it's very melodramatic and we learn the guy max voted for bush al showing the screen scene to robin and the family as the scene was digitally created that's why michelle's eye keeps twitching in a weird way al tries to point out that this is just like normal but the actors didn't have to put up with being on set for weeks and during the typical nonsense of hollywood Robin's like, they didn't ask Michelle to be in this, to take this role. Al's retort is that they've been telling you what to do since the beginning. You're their puppet. Always have been. Robin's like, hey, I like having a choice in what roles I play. Al's angry and argues that this is her opportunity, her way to true freedom. Is there possibly a, a question about free choice? Is it? is determined by the individual versus by the by the environment around them. Yes, there, there's maybe questions here. At the doctor's, Dr. Barker will now see Aaron. Time for some hearing tests. 
Parker says a word and Aaron repeats the word. But Aaron gets a bunch of them wrong, but he does some lip reading as Barker's, you know, explaining uh, to uh, Robin that Aaron's senses are really falling apart. The kid's got Usher syndrome, you see, and he might be completely blind by his 30s. So that's terrible. But Aaron is already processing what he does see in here in new ways, like, you know, the movie people will be doing in the futures. And that's pretty wild. So, hey, you got any new gigs coming up? Robin hints that, yeah, she'll probably take a new part to the studio to get the scanning sorted. Robin has some restrictions to get worked out on the contract side first, like no porn, no Nazis. Just like, come on, Nazi stuff wins awards. <laughs> he also balks at the no sci-fi. Al states that sci-fi is a dumb genre. Do you agree, uh, Gepwin? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why anyone <laughs> would look at or talk about it or spend any amount of time thinking about that. <laughs> Jeff's like, come on, sci-fi is fantasy, and I want to make you young forever. So give on this and, you know, all the cool stuff. And uh, Steve's like, hey, uh, how will we make this a 20-year contract? Jeff's like, sure. Robin's all like, all right, uh, hey, okay, let's sign and get this thing uh, scanned, like, right now. Christopher will be doing the scanning. He's a cinematographer, or was... Robin gets changed and gets the scanning sphere. Sphere turns on and things begin. Christopher starts asking her to do things like smile and laugh and shifts to emptiness. But Robin's not feeling it. So Al starts telling her a story about how he became an agent. It involves a scheme involving selling tickets to a kid with a tail. It escalated until he was tossed in juvie. He lays out that he figured out how to find someone's flaw and exploit it. And that's how he met Robin and her fear. Throughout the story and this revelation, Robin goes from happy and laughing to uneasy, anxious, and then finally sad. Al exploited her. But then Robin had kids. She stopped being so scared. Al was worried he'd be out of a job. But Aaron's condition started going downhill, which meant Al regained his leverage. Also, this is your last performance, Robin. 20 years later, Robin's driving down the highway. She stops at a checkpoint, the entry point for Abrahama, and it is her first time. The gate guard explains that she is expected at the hotel as a guest of the Futurist Congress. He is impressed by her 2013 model car. He also reminds her that Abrahama is a restricted animation zone. The only way to leave is by meeting him again on her way out. He gives her a, a small ampule. She huffs it and drives on through. Down the road she goes. She looks a bit animated in the rearview mirror. The desert transforms into colorful nonsense. Everything is animated. Ships rise out of the desert as her car, now part speedboat, follows the rainbow road. She passes a friendly octopus before stopping at a cliff to get a preview for a movie. Featuring Robin Wright, the digital version. Agent Robin is back again. They're all over balloons for some reason. They really love Zeppelins. It is the future of Zeppelin time. <laughs> <laughs> Down the cliff and through the clouds to where all those ships are parked, Robin gets, her, gets out of the car and some, you know, robots are there to help. Did I mention that everything is very animated? <laughs> The interior of the hotel is like a Max Flesher cartoon. A guy drinks a vial and then 
turns into like Clint Eastwood or something. But just for a second. A lady does it and becomes Marilyn Monroe. Another lady does it and so, so and so on and so forth. And this one becomes Agent Robin. Some robots, probably actual staff disguised as such, spot her. She puts on some shades to have a conversation with Aaron. Is a suave guy watching her as mom and son chat. Robin's impressed by being so animated, like she looks like Cinderella on heroin or an Egyptian queen on a bad hair day. Asa's very lewd fish tank. Aaron wonders if she's been recognized. She says, nah, while a bunch of the robots slowly crowd around her. Robin seeks out a room from an inflatable lady. Then it's time to gaze out the window forlornly. Also, there's a hazmat suit in the, her bathroom. Artificial Robin gives a very vapid ret interview on the blimp that's just hanging out by the hotel. Then the power goes out. The room service AI isn't that helpful with that, but we'll get her food in about two seconds. The robot fellow that delivers her breakfast points out that if she sees the dark, she chose the dark. But he's glowing, so he's good to go. She lights part of her breakfast, has a bad time seeing herself looking incredibly old, but young in the mirror. So it is, uh, you know, time to headbutt the mirror and ask for Jeff Green. She'll sign. Time for a musical number. But it gets raided by Miramount Police, the leader of which is Mr. Jeff Green. She's getting arrested for performing. Oh, no. But it was all just a dream. Real Mr. Green is expecting her in his office. Past the sad tobacco shop is Classics and Jeff Green's office. Also, Tom Cruise? Seems she and Cruise are the only actors that are still relevant anymore. All the rest were retired and replaced by original characters. The last 20 years, Tom Cruise was off doing UNICEF work while Robin took care of Aaron. Meeting with Jeff, Robin uses Tom's line to explain what she's been up to. Jeff explains that all of this Hollywood stuff is coming to an end. The script writers and animators will be gone soon. Movies are old news. Yeah, soon we won't need anyone to make movies. Haha, <laughs> just make money. Oh no. Creative works are coming to an end, Gepwin. Hmm. You see, Miramount and the world is entering a new era. Robin's curious about the extension of her contract. Jeff's like, oh yeah, sure, in a, another 20 contract, 20 year contract, fine. Fine, okay. But also, you'll be a chemical formula? People can drink you and imagine Robin however they like. Also, no more restrictions. He's sure she'll sign again because she's like desperate to be seen. She came here to be on stage just one more time after all. Later, some gazing outside in the orange haze seems to be suggesting an army approaching. Also, she smots a guy with a weird hairdo and a shady vibe. Gives a little with her fing with the finger. Time for the Futurist Congress. A big old party down below with drums and the president of Miramount Nagasaki, Reeve Bobs. He looks like Conan O'Brien, but with glasses and a very sinister vibe. He revs up the crowd as Robin hangs with Jeff and Tom Cruise. The shady guys in the rafters assembling a gun. Seems the scientists at Miramount Nagasaki Labs have unlocked this free choice thing. We spot a suave guy in the crowd, the one from before. Tomorrow, the free choice formula will be available out there in the world. Reeves demonstrates by being Clint Eastward for a moment, then Jesus, then Agent Robin. Folks are pumped. Time to load the ammo. 
Robin gets invited on stage. Sniper Dude aims roughly at Robin. She lays out what's going to happen. Also, think about the person behind this character you're playing as. So, you know, like, wake up, guys. Reeve is not too happy. She then introduces Aaron. You know, you know, you guys could have spent some time helping him with his actual problems, you know? So, you all suck. And if you go through all this, embrace your, your world of hedonism and all that, you'll die of guilt for being so selfish. Bah. She, naturally, gets pulled off by security. Reeve tries to get the crowd back up by pointing out that Abrahama isn't going to be its own thing anymore. Everything will be animated. He'll be there whole life. Blam! After the shot, everyone panics. Suave guys. All cool, though. Robin sees the sniper legging it. There's a flare. A rocket strikes the hotel. Robin's like, I'm out of here. Suave Goy joins her as they see the approaching forces. There's gunfire in the distance. Suave Guy pulls her away from the edge of the ship-like hotel as the grappling hooks land. Bees fly overhead and Suave puts bubbles over their heads and her, his head and hers as the gas is deployed. The purple haze fills the hotel as he tries to get them somewhere safe and mentions that they're now trapped as animated characters. Whoops. In an access tunnel, they pass some of the gas mask-clad invaders. One of them seems to be Sarah? Suave guy's like, heck yeah, she'd be on the rebel side for sure. Robin's like, how do you know this? He's like, I know a lot of stuff. Into the flooded boiler room to toss a hotel manager out of his floating seat. They go, so Robin has a nice place to, you know, lay down, recover a little bit, because yeah, she's been having a bad time. Suave tries to keep Robin awake. She wants to, you know, but she's all like, I want to see Aaron. But then Jeff of the Maramount Police shows up to take her away. Away from the burning wreckage of the hotel via helicopter, along with the very surly Reeves. Oh, uh, there's Aaron's kite, and uh, they run into it, and it takes down the helicopter, and uh, they're crashing, and oh, wait, that was all a dream. See, those kites are dangerous. Yes, uh, you know, they're able to take down a military helicopter without any problems. <laughs> She wakes up on the floating seat. Suave guy introduces himself as Dylan. He's her animator? Or was. He's very familiar with her as a result. He had to research her as he wasn't familiar with her at the start. Debris falls and a guy in a cockroach declares that the rebels have taken over the management floor and are halting the chemistry flow. They'll be real again. But Robin's seeing lots of plant growth, including from Dylan's fingers and shirt. He admits to kind of stalking her, but, you know, just to get more data on her for his work purposes. Honest. Yeah, in an endearing way, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I stalked you, but in a way that's, like, endearing and nice, not not creepy. No. <laughs> I just know everything about you. <laughs> yes, uh, cut to a scene from an Adrian Robin film. Airplane is flying high, but, it's having, but they're having trouble dropping a bomb, it seems. So Agent Robin hotwires the bomb and pulls a slim pickings, you know, rides the bomb all the way down. Kaboom! Back in the flooded uh, boiler room, Robin awakes to Jeff in diving gear. He explains everyone else hallucinated themselves out of there. He berates her for speaking out on stage. So, you know, she's being taken away as a prisoner. Jeff asks how she'd like it as, standing, as she stands in front of what appears to be like a firing squad. 
I mean, you know, they're, they're all here. Which way do you want to go? She asks for a single bullet to the head. And Jeff provides it. Blam. Off the hotel edge, and then there's doctors? The doctors lay out that everything she's experienced of late is a hallucination. That she even asked the chief fireman to put a bullet in her head. Hmm. She's clearly a lost cause, so let's freeze her until we can figure this whole thing out. Robin walks through the snow. Oh, oh hey, Aaron's kite again. Aaron is just kind of sliding across the ice there, being pulled by his kite. They meet, and he can hear her. Well, that's nice. She holds on to him, and the kite takes them across the ice towards a cavern. On the TV is Ronald Reagan with a British guy's voice talking about how the weather, you know, has gone wonky. People are apologizing for the lack of symmetry in the rainbows. Thunderstorms appear suddenly and then go. And Robin's in, you know, still kind of hanging out there in bed with uh, this lady lurking nearby. Lady asks her to, uh, you know, release your mind from the thoughts and whatever. Robin then explains she was supposed to wake up in the distant future and, you know, He's like, oh yeah, we have to start things familiar with it, you know, with you all. You know, like the early 1980s and it's wacky carpet, Reagan and television. You know, that's why you're in this room. It's basically the end of, uh, it's basically the end of Captain America. <laughs> basically, yes. <laughs> Except, you know, instead of, you know, uh, you know the, the 1940s, it's the 1980s. <laughs> she has a visitor. It's Dylan. He waited all this time for her. She and he and... Everything are still animated, by the way. Robin mentions that Sarah is safe. It is still looking for Aaron, though. Dylan looked for him, but couldn't find him. Robin is confused, and Dylan explains that, you know, be he alive or dead, it will require a long journey to find him. He takes her out of the hospital and towards the big city. As the grassy field spawns weird giant plants and snake vines, Robin mentions, you know, he doesn't know how long she's been frozen. And, you know, as the conversation progresses, you know, folks, we learn that folks can't really figure out anymore as uh, time's markers are now, now very subjective. When is day or night? It all depends on your own mind. Time's made up and the points don't matter. Indeed. <laughs> In the city, they find Jesus, David Bowie, Egyptian gods, naked people with plums for heads. Agent Robin, Elvis, Vishnu, and all sorts of other characters just kind of hanging out. The people around them give off pheromones, which are translated into the images of what they are being in that moment. Strange birds fly overhead. Dion explains a mind trip he took when he was like, studying Greek myths recently. It involves being a bull and having his way with Zeus's daughter. So, you know, you can kind of just use whatever you want to be experiencing, and then you just kind of feel it. Robin's like, so, uh, how about uh, Usher syndrome? And she asks this of the guy at the chemistry counter. And he's kind of confused by the request. One hit of that later, she uh, starts seeing some, some wild stuff. Her arms turn into wings and she flies away. Dylan follows along. They land by a field with a whole bunch of naked people. This is where Sarah's hanging out nowadays. You know, having babies. But meeting up with her is kind of tricky as they can't recognize each other due to the, that whole chemistry thing. They fly off. At the overgrown airport, Dylan pulls out a kite. It's Aaron's, apparently. They fly it, but lose their holds on it, and the kite goes off and hits an airplane. The airplane explodes and crashes on a bunch of others, and then it's time for the sex. 
quite explosive. Also, the vines. They get everywhere. You gotta clean up your vines after sex. At least it's not sand. <laughs> Later at the diner, uh, Michael Jackson is serving them lobster discs or cuts or something. Robin floats the idea of not being part of the chemical party anymore. Dylan explains she'll be in the real world where there's still people who actually, like, run things, including this very existence. But, you know, there won't be this world's wonder there. He's never been out himself because he has no idea if someone could come back. Robin asks to be sent back. Dylan pulls a capsule from his tooth. It was his retirement gift. A single-person dose to clear the chemistry from their system. He loves her. He waited 20 years, then another 20. But he'll let her have it to leave this world. Just, you know, don't look at him in the real world. Remember him as he is here in this place. She walks off, spots Tom Cruise again, and that security guard from the Abrahama checkpoint. That's weird. As the capsule takes effect, things grow dim, and then we see the real world, as all the beautiful people reveal themselves, dirty and disheveled folks, just standing around. Robin wanders the crowd, looking older and tired. There's also people in full-body hazmat suits. She finds a lady in one of the suits, looking exhausted and resting on the ground. She asks if there's any doctors around, and it's like, yeah, yeah, there, there are, up above. On a train ride with dazed out people, she seeks the airship access point. At the airport is a red kite, just like Aaron's. Robin is then pulled by the kite into the air as she stands in a basket. On the blimp, people notice her. She asks for Dr. Barker. He's around and surprised to see her. They hug. He talks about how drugs always hid the truth, but have just gotten way better. She asks about Aaron. He waited 19 years for her to return. He was going blind. Six months ago, he crossed over into the chemical world. Finding him is basically impossible, as he doesn't exist in the real world anymore, effectively, and on the other side, there's no way to know who he is. Oh, and, you know, she can go back there if she likes. He also lays out that where she was isn't really a thing anymore. So if she goes back, she'll be basically on a new trip. What was is gone. But he does go ahead and get her new ampule. Back to the animated world. Shadows and light and Aaron is a baby and flying a kite and getting his hearing checked and Sarah is saying goodbye and Robin's off to the Congress and hanging with Dr. Becker as Mom remains frozen and up to the blimp to the sea of Dr. Becker to get his ampule. Robin follows her son's path to where Aaron is now, tying down his right flyer, and they meet again. The end! Yeah. Did any of that make sense to you? Because that was not the experience of watching this. <laughs> I, I did my best to, uh, to to boil it down to the, the things that seem to be actually happening. Uh, <laughs> as opposed to, oh, uh, you know, here's uh, some weird thing flying above. Uh, here's some gardens glowing out of a, a skyscraper. Uh, here's, uh, you know... This this the escape the landscape that they're flying over, <laughs> uh, you know all that sort of stuff. And it's like, oh, this one bit looks like a pointillism painting, you know, uh, but like completely different. But you know, kind of that same vibe. <laughs> yeah, that's always the uh, that's always the struggle that I've seen with these <laughs> synopsizing these kinds of things is you make it make more sense than I think the movie's trying to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
it's uh it's, it, it is an interesting experience i have to say but uh i, I i'm curious Gepwin, what what did did you like this movie or did you find it just baffling? I didn't find it baffling. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as an interesting thing that they were trying to do. I felt like they didn't particularly use the stuff that they were doing in a interesting enough way to justify the other like filmmaking choices that they made. Mm-hmm. They had a very slow, slightly confusing interestingly animated movie that didn't seem to want to actually grapple with any particular questions just present you with a sort of generic is this really happening plot line and then throw in some like stuff at the end that indicated they hadn't really thought about what they were trying to communicate at all (laughs) and uh yeah, yeah, there's it's sort of like you know, you know that ending is like all right, so I guess the plot is she's trying to get back to Aaron. Well, uh, you know, she very much cares for her kid, and you know, as sort of Al pointed out earlier, you know that you know his you know condition sort of uh, degrading, you know, is kind of a big focus for her, you know, especially after her initial contract signing. Um, but there's still all this other stuff going on that she's kind of just experiencing, but it's not necessarily becoming her main sort of motivation for taking action going forward yeah it's a it's one of those movies where stuff is happening to the main character and around the main character instead of the character having any particular driving force in the plot Mm -hmm. which can be fine in and as it goes but they just they weren't presenting you with any with enough of anything for it to like it had to make a little more sense than it did in order for them to be critiquing anything because otherwise it's kind of just look at the pretty pictures. Yes. Though uh, I will, uh, I guess, say that such sort of uh, uh, go totality of it uh, does fit with the, uh, the the part early in the movie where they're like, yeah, you're you're their puppet already, you know. It's just, just a different way of doing it, you know. And you always have been. So, you know, if you have been you know, sort of told that you are uh, basically a tool of other people to, you know, experience something, you know, you kind of find yourself maybe going along with that flow as you, uh, you know, are now seeing copies of yourself everywhere of of people now being you. It's like, well, that's weird. Uh, I guess I need to, like, figure out what I actually want to do with my life. And uh, I'm not really going to think about this because, well, maybe that's just depressing. (laughs) There's there's a strain of movies that I feel like are movies that are mostly made for people who make movies. This kind of feels like one. <laughs> feel, yeah, I feel like this is like a movie about actors, for actors. Because a lot of the stuff makes a lot of sense when you get into things like, who are you as opposed to the character that everyone else in the world knows you as? And the public relations image that you put forth as opposed to who you actually are in private away from all of the other ways that you're seen and how much does that carry over one to the other what is the real you is it the robin that came in at the beginning of her scanning it's like i'm gonna do this thing i'm going to act and then kind of fall apart fell apart not really kind of driving with things or is the real her the the version that is listening to Al's story and getting slowly angry and then sad about 
how she's been manipulated her whole life. Which one's the true her? Mm-hmm. And this whole... Um, it's interesting now because the idea of scanned AI computer-generated actors has become so depressingly relevant very recently. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that this does... Uh, it uses it as a, as a jumping-off point in the beginning and then it's kind of barely mentioned again. Yes. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess this is a thing we're now doing and uh, that kind of gives us a reason to have Agent Robin clones show up later. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, you know, in terms of the, I guess, the, the story of that particular uh, part of it, it's not actually saying a whole lot other, you know, other than perhaps, you know, if you get a good tr- contract, you can actually get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess the question that I had in some of this is which of the which of the Robin rights are we following for the rest of the movie? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they do sort of they give you some idea that it's supposed to be the real world non scanned one. But most of the stuff that's happening makes only makes any kind of sense as this is happening inside of a computer. <laughs> you know, the uh, the AI got out. Oh, no, it's now wandering around the. Uh... The, the chemical, uh, you know, uh, ex- experience scape uh, and, uh, you know, without a animator actively, you know, producing work for it to do things, it's now able to uh, meander and, but also is limited to an animated existence, except near the end, where it gets a leg up from its animator once more to enter a more realistic ver- uh, version of reality. Hmm. Now, I I wasn't super familiar with the book that this is based on, but I read some things about it more specifically. And I feel like this is one of those interesting minor failures of adaptation where you you aren't necessarily adapt adapting the book directly. You're adapting some ideas and and general things from the book. You're taking concepts and motifs and things. Um, the book is this very weird sci-fi trope that keeps happening which is presenting the audience with a utopian future that the author made up obviously because it's whatever thing they're presenting as a utopian future and then going haha but the utopian future that i made up isn't that great actually So, they, by contrast, any amount of progress might not be that great. Take that, liberals. <laughs> which is kind of the same thing that like Brave New World did as uh, yes. classic sci-fi, which they somewhat, which they actually minorly referenced in a kind of offhanded way with the breeder colonies. And there's only certain folks that are uh, still having kids these days, and so you know. So civilization's not going to collapse completely because everyone's kind of spaced out doing the stuff here, but, you know, that's a thing. (laughs) But it's kind of interesting to me the way that this is getting folded into modern interpretations of pharmaceuticals and, um, like, they specifically mention at the end, the doctor says... Um, this sort of drug trip escape from reality is something that everyone's already doing with antidepressants. This is just us doing it better. So what's the difference? But that critique coming from a book like this that was published in the 1970s is a very different 
thing that they were critiquing as opposed to what people are critiquing now with yes. the overprescription of psychiatric medication. Because in the yeah. 60s and 70s, they were dealing with a like supposed future that didn't pan out. But the thing that they are critiquing in there, like here's how a way that the future could happen, was one in which like LSD research and psychedelic drug research panned out in the way that they were hoping it would to unlock all of the secrets and chemical processes of the mind in a way that would make it malleable and easily manipulatable. And thus controllable. Yeah, not just controllable, but like by others, but even controllable by yourselves, because one of the key themes of the future section of the Futurological Conference book is that people are taking drugs to control their own moods like if you want to be happy you take the happy drug and if you want to be angry you take the angry drug etc etc mm-hmm. um whereas it also shows up in an episode of doctor who by the way yeah <laughs> which is a very different beast when you're dealing with science fiction written in the 70s as opposed to when you're trying to critique modern psychiatric medication where there is a critique there of you're just giving people a drug to deal with long-term lasting societal problems. And you're just saying, here, take this and numb out your feelings about it and ignore what's going on. Yeah, you'll uh, f- feel happier about the situation at the very least. And, uh, you know, that's good enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is a different beast. It's like the this kind of thing is is basically saying that if everyone's distracted by being on a drug trip all the time they'll ignore enough problems in the real world that it will just degrade around them without anyone noticing yep (laughs) which i mean in a lot of ways especially like the way that this sort of thing is critiqued uh it see this as a drug metaphor no longer functions in the way that it used to in the 70s. And the modern version of this is actually the VR or um, AR science fiction, mm-hmm. where everything that you're looking f- through at is filtered through the reality of a virtual reality or augmented reality system that is showing you a fake world that you live in as opposed to the real world. The, the old 1970s you know, hallucinogenic drug idea got morphed into that. So anything now that's taking exactly the same premise and using it as drug metaphor is getting in like a little bit confused because the way we've metaphorically thought about a fake reality that we're all living in has moved on from it's a direct manipulation of the brain to it's a computer image that's being projected for you. It, it, it stops being, you know, so much about the drugs itself, but just the manipulation of your perceptions. Yeah, because a lot of this stuff is about manipulation of perception. That's the thing that they're trying to focus on. But mm. we, especially after, you know, Reagan era 1980s war on drugs mentality, we now have such an instinctive knee jerk reaction to drugs equal bad that anything that has drugs as a manipulative force has this extra modern layer on top of it of that's automatically evil in some way. Mm-hmm. which is not the way that drugs were being thought of when you were doing LSD experiments to see if you could talk to dolphins. Yes. <laughs> uh, did that work? No, that, that was basically <laughs> just animal abuse. It wasn't yeah. a bad idea, but the way that they did the study was just animal abuse. It wasn't really a study. 
Yeah, I, I would be uh, hesitant to participate in any sort of study uh, before like 1990, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as, uh, which I believe I actually did participate in a study when I was uh, a young child, uh, but it didn't involve drugs or anything like that or uh, horrific abuses. So yeah, but you would have been out. like the you would have been the subject, probably not the researcher. Yes. True. <laughs> As the subject, I did not experience any abuse. It was more of a, uh, we're, we're giving you testing because we want to te- see how testing works on younger children. As in like, you know, not IQ tests, but like sort of basic skill sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so things have definitely evolved uh, from the original, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of a vibe of the, uh, the novel there. And you're right that there's sort of a certain... I guess uh, cynicism about narcotics of various sorts that is, uh, you know, being uh, brought up by Doctor Becker there at the end. Um, but uh, do you know why I, I decided to choose this movie? No, because you want to slowly transition us into watching uh, into watching heavy metal. Well, eventually, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Which this does kind of have a vibe of uh, at points, uh, <laughs> but uh, the. Uh, the uh, specifically is actually the AI stuff, the stuff that it kind of drops away, you know, about, you know, the, after the first, uh, you know, half of the movie, uh, you know, the, uh, the, t- you know, taking, you know, you know, actors likenesses and uh, having their own little uh, puppet version and uh, all that. Uh, in fact, uh, I recall there was uh, some sort of big strike this uh, past year about all that. Do you remember anything about that, Gabby? No, I mean, who can recall? But they just are making movies. Everything's fine now. Forget that we ever mistreated actors. <laughs> Go watch <laughs> yes, the new and, Star War. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, there wasn't anything happening from July 14th to November 9th. Uh, you know, where, uh, you know, lots of actors are like, yeah, we're not going to, like, act, which means your productions aren't going to mm-hmm. happen, and so you're going to lose lots of money. So, you know, like, pay us. Like, if you're going to do the whole, you know, thing, you know, scanning, which they, mm. <laughs> which, you know, is science fiction in the movie, but is getting a bit closer to reality now, yeah, pay us. Because, you know, in the real world, you know, the studios don't offer up a nice big contract that you can negotiate on. They were very much eager to, yeah, we uh, had you come in for a day and that's all we need you for. Bye. Yeah, one of the things that they were fighting against was for background actors to come in, get paid for half a day of work, and then their contract would say they could use them as a computer animated background forever with no yeah. additional compensation. <laughs> Which is uh, a little ridiculous because, uh, you know, it's like, oh, suddenly, uh, you know, you are... Uh, showing up on all these random things and because apparently you have no control over your uh, your likeness that's you know that's just going to be a thing mm-hmm. from me now on and, you know the screen actors guild's like mm, maybe not <laughs> but like if you saw i'm sorry but like someone someone on tumblr a bit ago had a gif from uh a a more recent disney channel movie not not being a child i do not follow disney channel movies no. very closely but um <laughs> They had a gift from one that used AI background characters mm-hmm. in one of their like basketball scenes. Yes, and I, the, I've seen this myself. The <laughs> PS2 level fucking graphics on this thing. <laughs> so you don't even. Why are they even bothering to scan an actor? It's like obviously they uh, they can't uh, animate them at this point. So uh, yeah, maybe just don't. <laughs> but yeah, if if the the. Uh, 
you know, the, the executive producers on up are just like, ah, oh, this is good enough. Then they're going to run with it because they're the ones that are making the big decisions and all this stuff. I think what's kind of interesting is there was a uh, there's a bit of this that isn't being talked about as much because obviously the workers' rights part of it and the way that uh, that a lot of people in creative indus- industries are exploited if they don't have a very good strong union the way the you know actors do, mm-hmm. uh, which is in fact one of the reasons they're trying to switch everything to computer generated stuff because. Uh, people in doing cgi and uh, computer art and graphics have no union so uh, they can underpay them for for everything so it's it's incredibly uh... cheap for them to do that because they don't have good worker representation and they're being overworked and underpaid just massively and it's going to like uh crash down around their ears in five five or six years Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, these, uh, you know, digital animators, you know, it's too new of a thing that, uh, and it's not covered by the uh, normal uh, Hollywood unions here. So we'll just keep pumping that up and then we'll make more money. But, for, uh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for uh, you know, putting out the same number of films and all that. And uh, that will be good enough, right? Yeah. I know. You'll just, you just, uh, you, you get some, pay someone $5 to make a Sonic movie that, Looks like a PS2 game. Yep. <laughs> Remember the teeth. Remember the teeth. <laughs> but um, one of the things that this kind of reminded me of when they were talking about taking her for the second contract and making it, we're not even going to animate you anymore. You will become a product. You mm-hmm. will be a chemical that people can buy and drink and taste and turn into a milkshake. There's a weird thing that companies are doing right now that isn't getting as much attention, which is um, things like the big franchise films like Star Wars that Disney's taking and and you know running into the ground yes. to make as many Star Wars things as humanly possible. Star Wars Forever, episode I s- 53. I saw something recently where someone was pointing out that one of the things that they've done is create a series of little, like, short cartoons for children that are basically small, child-friendly recaps of the original Star Wars trilogy. (laughs) Which, one, is to, like, you know, you can catch kids up on the story, they can watch a more child-friendly film that gets them into the thing for the, like, slightly more child-friendly cartoons instead of watching a, like, movie that's, like child friendly but has a lot of you know people getting killed in it etc but i was like we're gonna cut off your arm here yeah because we're having a disagreement in a bar surprise (laughs) but one of the things that someone was pointing out is that the one of the main reasons that disney is doing stuff like that is because they want to make the star wars characters their own little disney characters Mm. because they want luke skywalker the disney character instead of luke skywalker the character played by mark hamill yes you know uh, mark hamill can still voice act him for a while but you know they'll eventually phase that out too yeah because yeah they they've done all this like really creepy digital de-aging shit to bring mark hamill back as young luke skywalker for the mandalorian and all these other nonsense tv things that are happening yes but overall, they want to have a brand. They don't want to have an actor anymore 
because that was the old studio system where you had an actor that was linked to your studio and that mm-hmm. actor worked exclusively for that studio and you made the actor a big name because you wanted to go see the you know, you wanted to go see the um now I'm blanking on actor names but you know <laughs> the Harrison Ford <laughs> yeah but that was later too <laughs> Uh, the Clark Gable. There yeah, go. <laughs> you'd go see the like Clark Gable movie, and it was the the you know actor's name was the biggest freaking thing on there. Then you had the collapse of that iteration of the studio system, where actors had exclusive contracts, and then you had more like actors were still a big deal, but then it was a fight over who could get the actor. You know, Harrison Ford made movies for made movies for Paramount and for like Fox he wasn't like, he wasn't contracted to only one studio for all time mm-hmm. and now they're trying to recreate that studio system by owning franchises Disney is buying up all these franchises and then it doesn't really matter they have Star Wars which is its own disconnected thing from any of the actors who are in Star Wars or were in Star mm-hmm. Wars it doesn't matter if you make a Star Wars animated cartoon with Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford in it or not yeah, you got basically the uh, the, the encapsulation of, of what people desire, which is the Star Wars, as opposed to the actor uh, of the old studio system. But and there, you, uh, and, and you can keep producing that, you know, ad nauseum forever because it is not attached to people that actually exist. Yeah, and then, but now one of the things that they're doing as a transitionary element in there is to take Mark Hamill's luke skywalker and turned it into disney's luke skywalker mm-hmm. i think this kind of uh, you know a, a moment is, is sort of demonstrated in that uh you know a scene in the movie where she's re- uh, renegotiating the contract where it's like yes you know everyone else has uh, other than you two have been transitioned to fully new cre- uh, new creations from that uh, the studio produced you know, it just you guys kind of lucked out the last two standing sort of situation. Mm. Yeah, now it's all original characters, mm-hmm. which is the thing that a lot of uh, a lot of people are worried about in the AI space, which is getting did get addressed somewhat in the strikes and things. But if you can do AI voice acting, then you don't need an, a character, a actor at all, because you can draw the character and have an original owned character. And you can AI the voice and have an AI actor voice. And then you don't even have to worry about what they look like at all because you just have your original character. Indeed. So it's uh, a lot cheaper. You just turn the computer on and uh, feed it the script and there you go. Yeah, and then you have an AI write the script, which is what they were saying at the end. They don't need script writers or anything, anything mm-hmm. anymore. <laughs> all those uh, uh, you know, uh, peons that we've long commanded are now irrelevant because... It is now beyond film. I think it's interesting, actually, having this. And if people listened to our last episode on uh, Tomorrowland back to back, um, these are essentially the same message that keeps being redone in various science fiction tropes. They just change what the thing is. It's basically just a fundamental misunderstanding of what opiate of the masses meant. (laughs) And then they just change what it is. This is saying drugs and or drugs as a stand in for entertainment, the like movie entertainment uh, business system. 
um, is distracting people from reality. And then that's letting reality crumble around you. Tomorrowland was future ball that is a representation of social media doom scrolling is distracting you from from reality and letting it crumble around you yeah, different versions of entertaining yourself to death which i believe is actually a name of a book yeah i should probably read it at some point <laughs> the only thing that i can think of that uh did that in a less weirdly critical way well they still did a little bit like ready player one did Reality is crumbling around you because of VR game, uh, but VR game is also just too good. <laughs> uh, but I guess at the end of the movie, they did say that no one's allowed to play on Thursdays, so they have to go live in the real world one day a week, and that'll fix everything. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I guess if that's actually going to get people to, to do things that fix the world, maybe? Otherwise, people are just going to be bored. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just... just there's capes being different boring as hell iterations of but we would fix the world if people would just stop distracting themselves from how bad things are <laughs> yeah there's uh only so much of this kind of uh you know, you know messaging that really kind of is going to be effective in the end and uh and so yeah there are yeah i'd say that that's probably one of my own critiques of this film that you know it is you know sort of a Oh golly, that's you know th this sort of you know message is is there. Well, we've also seen it before, so but I yeah. guess it also fits in with the theme. <laughs> it does, but then the only critique that I have of the film doing something like this is like, why, why is this message in here? Because the film doesn't seem to really want to say anything about it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I guess uh, you know, as I said, you know, the, you know, kind of fits with the theme that you know, in the end, everything just sort of being you know some variation of something that has been produced ages ago fills up the entire world. That's the experience of almost everybody except those that, you know, are there to produce the materials uh, or, you know, just to keep them running effectively, you know, is sort of a, a, a variant on it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you know, if, if you sort of cut out the, you know, that this is, you know, letting the world outside, uh, you know, crumble uh, sort of a part of it, it is, you know, this world might be, crazy magical with all sorts of weird trippy stuff going on but it's also going to be very samey over the long haul also then like yeah who's like it's supposed to be endless random variation or whatever but eventually people would get bored of being blitzed out in a cartoon all the time yeah like well uh i'm hanging out as a uh, vishnu today um again um what else is there? Uh, anything? No? Then what's the point? Yeah. To distract you from reality. <laughs> One of the things that, that was mentioned in the book synopsis is that when he, you know, clears his system of the drugs in the future, he sees how... Was a she. Hmm? I thought it was a she. It, uh, she? It, was, it was a, a kind of funky name, Mention... though. Okay, so maybe it was. Maybe I miss remembered but then the main character clears the drugs out of their system yeah he realizes it's now the eighth day at least the synopsis i read was gendering the male all right so anyway all right okay <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it's uh, sort of an eastern european-ish sort of name Ijon Shishi. Mm -hmm. yes i mean if it is a female <laughs> lead they got involved with a woman so that's pretty progressive for the 70s hooray <laughs> 
<laughs> but anyway, the one of the things they have at the end, which I see a lot in these, what is your perception of reality type things, is instead of everything being colorful, Baroque architecture, etc., etc., when you get off of the drugs, everything's just, you know, gray concrete walls. How bleak and depressing. And it's like, what exactly <laughs> is the fundamental difference between taking a drug that makes you see concrete walls as Baroque architecture and putting plaster molds of Baroque architecture on a concrete wall. It's not really a whole lot. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, one, you know, you know, looking upon it, you know, makes you happy. The other one uh, makes you happy, but is animated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I'm very fundamentally bored to tears by this, Oh my God, what is reality? Is there something real outside of our perceptions of reality sort of thing that they don't, no one seems to want to say anything particularly new or interesting about other than, mm -hmm. did you know that you don't actually see or interact with the world? It's just the way your brain interprets light waves bouncing off of things. Oh my God. Oh, um, was it Descartes that was all about that sort of demon? Uh, yeah. That, you know, you could be manipulated into a, you know, experiencing a whole other world just because it's, you know, talking to your brain and, you know, standing between you and any actual senses. Yeah, his whole thing yeah. was just the only thing that I can fundamentally prove is mm -hmm. that I know that I exist. Therefore, that's the only thing that I can base any particular continuation of my philosophy on. Uh, I prefer, uh, I think, therefore I strut. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's it's such a fundamentally useless question is reality fundamentally different than the way that we as humans can experience it with our senses and way of interacting with the world? I don't know. Probably. We're never going to know because we're fundamentally limited by our senses and way of interacting with the world. I think uh, perhaps one of the uh, few films that kind of, I guess, pokes at this in a you know, more interesting or at least more constructive way uh, is actually The Matrix. Because, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, there's the, the, you know, the real world and the world, the matrix and, you know, uh, all that sort of uh, dichotomy between the two. Uh, and, you know, the one, the world, the matrix is, you know, you know, well put together while the, uh, the real world's all falling apart, decayed, you know, you know, bombed out existence. But the, you know, when you're in the matrix, it might not be, you know, quote, a real world here. And, uh, but upon sort of learning that you are able to, push the limits of it you are able to go all right so this is the world that is being told to me that i am being you know that is being expressed into my brain doing the whole uh you know uh, demon sort of business there uh however i'm going to push back and i'm going to test its limits and possibly bend or break them in time um so let's go i'm going to be all like hear me roar at this stuff here I'm going to think so hard, the demon's going to give up. <laughs> Let's see, I think that the... I would say that the reason that The Matrix feels like a better exploration of that concept than other media exploring that concept is because The Matrix isn't really about what is reality the way that some mm. of these things are purporting themselves to be. The yes. Matrix is about reality manipulation as an example of one of the forms that a power structure that is trying to manipulate and control your existence can take yes it is 
That's why you can get so many fundamentally trans interpretations of the Matrix, which you can look up all mm -hmm. over. I think Jesse Gender just did one recently. Um, dang, what's the Avanok? I'm trying to remember her YouTube oh, name because it's a really, really good video. Uh, I'm, yeah, I, I should remember how to pronounce it myself. I'm seeing some letters, but I'm not seeing them all right now. <laughs> Let me look at this up. Let's see. Our Aranok. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Aranok. I was thinking Eric Hoker for a while, but yeah. No. Aranok did an Aranok. incredibly good video called The Matrix is Intrinsically Trans. Um, mm -hmm. you, can, you can find these really good like ways that you can definitely read the movie. And one of the things there is because trans and queer people more generally, but trans people more specifically, have a reality set by the system that is fundamentally different than the way they are experiencing the world, but the system controls the reality around you so strongly and fundamentally that it's difficult to even conceive that the way that you actually experience the world is fundamentally possible. Yeah. So... Like the Matrix, as much as people like to talk about it as, are we in a simulation right now? I saw a glitch in the Matrix because I don't understand how chickens work, which is a video I literally saw like three days ago. Someone didn't understand the fight or flight response of a chicken and went, oh my God, it's a glitch in the Matrix. Wow. Because yeah. <laughs> chickens stop moving when they see a hawk and they're like, oh, the chickens suddenly froze. Oh my God, we live in a simulation. It's like, no, they have a behavior. Yeah. Deal with it. <laughs> But it's not a it's not a story that's about is this reality. It's a story about being able to challenge the reality that is presented to you by a powerful and oppressive system. Yes. So I, I guess maybe for this film, there had it, there they did set up an interesting possibility, uh, you know, especially right there at the end of all right. So. You, you, you uh, go into the world of chemistry there, and there's all the, the ampules for various different, you know, well-established whatevers here. Um, but what if you what you wanted to be was yourself, or a different version of yourself? Or, you know, if you're trans, a, you know, a, you know, a different uh, gender, and, you know, what... You know, what of, you know, options are available for you to sort of push those limits in that, uh, you know, hallucinatory world there, you know, but we don't really do that other than, uh, you know, Robin sort of taking on the role of Aaron in order to track him down at the end. Uh, you know, it's like, all right, so now you're being a specific person, but this per specific person, you know, is already well-defined. It isn't letting you be the creator of this new, uh, you know, existence, the one that you want to be in this new world. I, I kind of wanted that uh, sort of ending to it, honestly. Yeah, because like, the only thing that's fundamentally wrong with the Matrix as you know a fake reality is the fact that it is a system of dictatorial control being mm -hmm. enacted on the people who live in it. They give you a bit of a... I understand science fiction allegory doesn't always need to function completely. It's an argument that I get in with people a lot. But when you don't do much to expand your allegory, all you get in something like this is the world outside of the hallucination is falling apart in such an unreal and like unbelievably unrealistic way that 
it's difficult for you to even take that as a critique of this is what is wrong with the world is that the drugs are making everyone ignore reality yeah i guess you know also the you know this particular world in this film uh you know it's sort of it's kind of implied that despite being in this hallucinatory existence that everyone's still being taken care of they might not be in, you know, well washed or in a place that's, you know, nice to look at in the real world, but they are kind of just hanging out and are not starving. They're not, you know, coming succumbing to, uh, you know, disease and sickness. They're, you know, living their best life in the hallucination. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> and as far as you can tell, they're mostly just sort of standing around wearing slightly yeah. <laughs> dingy clothes. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, um, and you know, sometimes they get on uh, trains. Apparently, uh, yeah. And I guess that's part of how the uh, they get to from place to place in their uh, you know their uh, the 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 hallucinatory existence there. Um, but it is still sort of a um, you know everyone's just kind of chilling and they are just being okay generally, and being you know anything that they need is being supplied by the you know world controlling Miramax uh, Nagasaki Corporation. <laughs> And I guess the corporation just keeps doing this because yeah. why out of the goodness of their heart, they don't seem to be making any money out of it. <laughs> well, if they're the only game in town at this point, they're kind of running the world and they're like, oh, now we have to run the world all. <laughs> <laughs> we, we made all the money and now we don't have anything to spend it on other than just keeping everyone alive. Yeah, there I was guess. an old, like, there was a Ninja Turtles episode about that at one point. They they go to the future where Shredder's taken over the world and they break into his like big palace and he's just surrounded by paperwork. He's like, "Oh my god, this is so much work! Please, please, just take it back." <laughs> I'm also uh, you know, reminded of a, a bit from Doctor Who, like the classic series, where the Doctor's like, "You know, isn't the world a bit big? You know, you know, what are you gonna do with it? You know, there's only like six of you, <laughs> like." you know taking over the world it's kind of a silly idea (laughs) well that's uh, like you were saying that's the thing that i was expecting out of this movie was the ai thing the exploration of what that means for creativity and if you have a ai actor are they making the art is the animator making the art is it the art of the person that they scanned originally um, I don't know why they switched to the drug thing. I don't know why they included both. Well, uh, they 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 had to do the drug thing because that's what the novel was about. Yeah, but the um, other part wasn't and, in the novel at all. So true. <laughs> so uh, you know, I guess if they ever want to uh, remake this, uh, we cut it in half, make it two different movies, and then you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. And take out the weird line about how anyone who's confused, this is about how antidepressants make you ignore reality. <laughs> <laughs> uh dr uh, becker's uh, uh you can just go to hell <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of reasons to critique our use of antidepressants in society that's not exactly one of them well i, I guess maybe in universe maybe doc, you know, the doc's just like so done with everything that he's like i just want to say stuff that i you know would not have been you know 
uh, been taken seriously, but I'm the only doctor around here now who's not like uh, in the hallucinatory world. So (laughs) I I win the medical desk. Yeah, who's peer reviewed now? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever I say is medicine. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So the the Congress, it's a pretty weird, uh, flawed movie, but uh, I still, you know, generally enjoyed it. Um, You know, it has it brings up some interesting stuff but doesn't investigate them uh, you know, quite as nicely as I would like myself. Yeah, and, it's, uh, it's yeah. very chill. It's a bit slow. It's probably worth checking out if you're interested in seeing some, some weird, weird animation. <laughs> Including that very lewd fish tank there. <laughs> yeah, not the, it's not like, it's not the best animation that I've seen. It's not the most creative, stunning animation I've seen in something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, if you want... If you want to engage with these concepts in a better animated movie, you should go watch Paprika. I'll endorse that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, if you're going to be watching, uh, you know, several movies on the, you know, similar themes here, uh, you can see them both. Yeah, so. <laughs> but this and one then, is uh, way slower paced. Yes. <laughs> you know, either uh, uh, put it early in the uh, movie marathon uh, where people are still kind of uh, wandering in, and then they're like, "What the hell's going on?" <laughs> <laughs> or like you know after paprika so that's like okay so we need like chill for a little bit yeah when you want a nap <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, uh, uh, especially that first uh third of the movie because you, know, you know all the live action stuff it's like all right you know it's me doing the uh script you know uh, synopsis writing here uh is you know keeping my my, my attention focused but like the first time i saw this is like wow this is really really slow mm-hmm. um and uh I almost didn't make it the first time I uh, watched it a few years back uh, because of that. And it's like, well, this is kind of getting some weirdness, but mm. I'm still kind of curious where this might be going. Well, I think and then, what, oh, uh, what, show, okay. what, what tells you the pacing of this movie is the live action section of the synopsis was about seven minutes long. Uh, that was <laughs> the first 40 minutes of the movie. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's like, all right, we're going to be kind of gazing at things and there's some weird visuals and chit chat about whatever, you know, and I'm skipping over most of that, <laughs> even though this kind of, you know, you know, uh, cool. Uh, I, I, but I w- would say, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, films I've seen, it is, you know, way more action packed at the beginning than the, uh, the most dull movie I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, do you have any idea what I'm going to I'm uh, say is to that? think through what would be so dull in the beginning. But I think I just have too many options. Well, although the, the movie that I'd say is you know, you know, way more dull is not just dull at the beginning. It's dull all the way through. I mean, I can think of several of those, too. What was the most? Right. Was, I mean, Dune. There's, Dune was actually fairly dull in the beginning, <laughs> if we're being honest. But... <laughs> Uh, are we talking the, the more recent one yeah, or uh, the, new the one uh, where it's all just the entire first movie is just long sweeping helicopter shots of sand come on <laughs> well uh i think i'd still probably enjoy that more than i did mr turner uh, i've never seen that uh i would not recommend it it's <laughs> it is basically the film equivalent of watching paint dry uh, uh and uh, Sure, it's a pretty painting that you're seeing the paint dry on, but <laughs> it's still the same thing. Uh, like all the uh, 
all the really entertaining bits are in the trailer actually oh okay fun yeah so go watch so, the trailer and then yeah and and then that that's the experience <laughs> the best way you experience it anyway <laughs> i think we're uh meandering a little bit yeah uh, so an interest of of also not having terrible pacing that puts you to sleep <laughs> it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show Hey everybody! Excuse me. Yeah, I was just about, right, please don't, don't do that. <laughs> uh, welcome to the galaxy's favorite game show, and uh, I'll I'll try not to uh, go much to my animated voice too much here. But, hey, although it's coming back like uh, mm, mm, yeah. Anyway, our first prize is the meta concert prize, which goes to all the folks engaged in the chemistry party. As they're all like sharing, uh, they're sharing, they're experiencing uh, the funky hallucinations, and uh, just being next to someone like gives you a, a, enough of a high that you can see that they are clearly some sort of Egyptian god. Uh, what do they win, Gepwin? They win just LSD. If you're gonna go to a big concert party, as I understand it, you just take acid. It seems simpler. <laughs> But that hallucination won't last forever, right? I mean, I don't know. Anyway. Right? It could. <laughs> Depends on who you ask and which version of, of anti-drug propaganda you're listening to. True. Uh, our uh, second prize is the Terrible Economics Prize, which goes to Marymount Nagasaki for kind of taking over the world with their chemistry, but doing so kind of just leaves everything falling apart, and now they have to run the world. Yeah, that kind of sucks for them. What do they win, Gapwin? They win probably the only reason anything in this econ economic system is still functioning. Large corporate tax breaks. <laughs> hmm, the biggest tax break in the universe. Because, uh, well, uh, they kind of like don't have much of a government left because everyone decided to get high. Yeah, hmm. all the government does is pay them to take care of everything. Yes. <laughs> Our third prize is the Holistic Detective Prize, which goes to Robin Wright for how she finds Aaron in the end, just by becoming him. If you're going to find somebody, what if you were him? This is very dark city suddenly. Uh, what does she win, Gapwin? She wins the she wins the full Dick Tracy sort of private eye treatment, where all she does is like someone goes like, "I'm missing my child." She says, "Give me a minute. I will become your child." Like, good job. This is the <laughs> easiest detective job ever. <laughs> Solves all your problems. In Robin nice, Wright's easy missing fashion. person agency. <laughs> Our uh, next prize is the TV Love Story Prize, which goes to Dylan for kind of being a creepy stalker, but then, you know, still getting the girl despite that. What does he win, Dylan? Uh, not, not Dylan. Gepwin. There we go. <laughs> Dylan. I'm confused. Gepwin, are you giving off pheromones? Yes. Sexy Stop pheromones. <laughs> Dylan wins animated binoculars because if he's going to be a weird stalker, he should stop actually talking to people. It's still not great, but maybe it's better than insinuating yourself into the person's actual life. Mm -hmm. You know, he could also like join that uh, nudist uh, naturist uh, uh, commune and, you know, then he just hangs out with naked people all the time, too. Yeah, then you could go deal with the anti-feminist part of the movie that we didn't talk about. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, there's uh, the next prize is the uh, Agent Asshole Prize, which goes to Al because he is kind of a crappy person and is, you know, exploiting people for his own gain. What does he win? He wins studio contract because it seems like just that's a high level studio executive who's a crappy person who exploits others for his own gain. <laughs> and I, think, I think he's just doing it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> He got on the wrong side of the business here. He should have been uh, an exec, not a, you know, an agent. Come on, Al. Our uh, final prize here is the Millennial Job Outlook Prize, which goes to Dylan, Robin, Christopher, and basically anyone who works in making movies or other formats, uh, formats of uh, non-chemistry-based entertainment. You know, for the hotshot new tech has replaced the artists and the dreamers, Kepwin. Oh, no. What do they win? All right, they get to choose. Either you get the uh, hallucinogen that makes your life feel okay even though the world is falling apart around you or the hammer that you use to smash in the executive skulls and take all their money i mean both should kind of work hmm. i think i know what i would pick there Gepwin. also if you drug the executives first they're happy about it indeed <laughs> and uh given that the uh you know uh you know, flow of time is completely subjective for them at that point you know they're uh they can experience an entire lifetime uh Living happily ever after in those few uh, remaining seconds of their existence. And thus, it's not unethical, right? Yeah, it's basically not like <laughs> killing them at all. Anyway, that's all I got here, Gaprin. Uh, uh, take us away before I have some accidents. Oh, before things become even more animated and probably mildly annoying to listen to, this has been the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it went by too fast in the synopsis to mention, but the fact that they have the like, they they specifically set up the daughter as a countercultural element, and then talk about her being part of the resistance, and then her final thing is that she's off having babies like a good person to carry on the human race. Like you couldn't put a less feminist message in this damn movie. (laughs) Yeah, it was a little bit of a a a turn, but yeah, if you're trying to paint someone as just being you know a you know, rebel without a cause you'll you know rebel against anything sort of uh, position <laughs> you know having her rebelling against the onset of chemistry at one point and then rebelling against the uh you know, you know the sort of norm of just in, you know indulging and you know uh you know just sort of being and existing by doing something aka anything uh would be uh i guess a form of rebellion I guess. Yeah, sort of, but they don't set it up well mm. enough, and it's just like you can't say you're rebelling by doing the same thing we want you to do now. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's uh, a yeah, hard that's endorsement a... of the system as it exists in, now in modern time. <laughs> I, I, I have no, uh, you know, uh, you know, qualms with folks uh, wanting mm. to, you know, start families and you know, and, you know, have kids and all that uh, sort of thing. Uh, but you know, to sort of you know have a trajectory like uh, this one without you know trying to i guess go go shore it up uh so that it makes sense is yeah it's a it's a, it's a pile of like really annoying and bad drops kind of coming together yeah, yeah. it's it's the brave yeah. new worlding again which is the problem i had with brave new world <laughs> didn't think about <laughs> what they were saying about anything <laughs> so uh, maybe we should write our own brave new world gapwin 
Yeah, how are we going to just uh, make up a utopia that doesn't actually work and go, this is why nothing can be better? <laughs> well, I, I guess also I've been uh, you know, you know, you know, uh, sharing a, a book that I have uh, you know, acquired and read you know, with some friends in another Discord here uh, that uh, is sort of a, 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 a brave new world, but it's also you know, obvious from the get-go that the, uh, the narrator is like, yeah, this place actually sucks, <laughs> but, you know... It's sort of designed to make us happy enough. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is how I kind of stopped going with that. <laughs> but, right. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a fun, fun, fun story there. But anyway, <laughs> no. so, uh, yeah, the, the, you know, the future, it's uh, it's different. Yeah. But now we're going to yeah. go to a familiar future because now yes. we're done with all the movie things. So we're going back to Star Trek. For season yes, three, are. yes, some sort of uh, Star Trekking across the universe. Yeah, hmm. yeah. So we're back to the what, like Star Trek season three is when everyone agrees that uh, Next Generation kind takes of, off yeah. and goes like, "Ooh, yeah, that's now it's good." And that's yeah, where the good uh, stuff some, is. Some uh, shifting of uh, you know the uh, you know who the, uh, the the showrunners were at some point. Uh, I forget exactly when. And uh, there is, you know, different, uh, you know, vibes. The, you know, uh, Pulaski uh, uh, left, uh, uh, you know, uh, Crush, uh, Beverly Crusher's back. Uh, we got, you know, some big, big stories to go f uh, through. Uh, we got different vibes and different sort of, I guess, takes on how you sort of put together uh, stories for, for uh, Star Trek. And we are getting away from the... Uh, the classic uh, TOS sort of style t uh, storytelling entirely. So, hooray! Yeah, now it's kind of its own thing. It's doing all of its. Uh, this is going to be some of the more like big famous episodes that everyone knows. Mm -hmm. uh, this next one is the one that has such a generic name that no one remembers what it is, even though it's <laughs> one of the more iconic ones. Has some iconic yes. lines. <laughs> Indeed, uh, I recall some of them involve baseball. <laughs> yeah. So the next episode is the first episode of, se of the third season called Evolution, mm -hmm. uh, which is not to be confused with all the other times that they referenced evolution or had people evolve or de-evolve or whatever. I, I guess in I guess in terms of uh, evolution as a, a general concept, this one is probably better than the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, generally. <laughs> Because, oh, it's not involving nonsense biology that doesn't work that way ever. Yeah, this one's about <laughs> nanites, so really it's the precursor to uh, Michael Crichton's prey. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess to uh, to look forward to throughout the the, uh, the season, uh, we got uh, you know, the return of Sarek. We got uh, Barkley shows up for the first time. We got, uh, you know, a, a alternative reality of uh the uh the uh, what what if the enterprise was like you know in a situation where they were at war constantly we got uh rashomon star trek style uh we got the the one where uh the, the writers didn't like it because you know it kind of tried to tackle hard issues about like civil wars and stuff and they're like we want to do a message issue uh show but we we messed it up and everyone's like this is actually a pretty good episode though mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, we got, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a wormhole shows up. That's pretty cool. We got boobies and traps. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, both in separate episodes because we also have that. We have the we have the Fer- naked Ferengis coming back. So indeed, <laughs> we we have Uber beings that uh, are able to wave their hand and destroy entire civilizations. We got Romulans. Uh, we got guys that can uh, jazzercise their way out of a transporter beam. And we, of course, we have um, some sort of like big cube that attacks the Federation, I guess. Yeah, we, we have like all the iconic episodes ending with the most iconic episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, we're, yeah. we're not getting to that for a while. Yes. <laughs> that will be uh, the season uh, ender there. So, you know. Um, also, uh, we meet Lau. She's pretty cool. Yeah, it was neat. Yeah. Hopefully it becomes a fun, reoccurring character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, uh, just hanging out in the uh, 10 forward, you know, serving people drinks, uh, you know, kissing random people as they walk in, you know, as you do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, look forward to the uh, next season of Watches It Tomorrow as we uh, tackle the next season of Star Trek, The Next Generation. <laughs> Are you excited, Gepwin? Yeah, I'm very excited. We get to talk about some of the actual things that people will remember. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Nanomachine Sun. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IzixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.